Amen. Go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8. The title of the sermon today is, Why Doesn't Money Satisfy? The richest man um, alive is Solomon. And if you've been here for a while, you know this genre, this book is a little hard to preach on because Solomon is walking around and he's like so rich and so loaded and so wise and so miserable. No joy. Life is meaningless. He feels like he's just chasing the wind. So he's just walking around in his purple robe and he's looking at every single reason why life is empty and he's not happy. And it's hard to preach because collecting his supporting ideas, like trying to figure out what he's saying, is like catching butterflies. You, he doesn't like lay it out for you and tell you how to fix the problem. He just tells you the problem. And he kind of is moaning about it. Now there is a strength to this genre because Solomon is exploring all of the harsh realities of human existence. In other words, there are times when you just feel it and you don't know what to do with it and you don't even know if you want to know what to do with it. That's where he's at. That's where you're at. That's where I'm at at times. Because we have this meandering book of just, of just lamenting life, we can know God cares about this because this actually, this book came from the Spirit of God. How do we deal with today? We'll learn with how do we deal with this problem? Why doesn't money satisfy? Solomon's got it all. More, gold was so abundant in his kingdom, people didn't even care about silver. Silver? Who needs that? We've all got gold. It's really um, an a time of excess. We live in that time too. We live in the richest country in all of history. We enjoy the highest standard of living. Um, we, when it comes to all of humanity before us, we are the rich. Now, I'm not saying all of us enjoy uh, the same level of security or provision, but what I'm saying is we have to just step back and realize that we have so much more by way of provision, pleasure, protection that no generation before us had. Because of that, we have to understand what role possessions and, and wealth play in our life so that we don't uh, let them become our peril. Why doesn't money satisfy is the specific question that he asks. And money doesn't satisfy. It is Super Bowl Sunday, and so I figured I would go to um, pro sports for my introduction here. There's so much money in pro sports that can make you so rich. Do you know that in week 18, it was revealed that Tom Brady in his last game um, was fighting for $2.25 million in incentives. Now, I don't know what your incentives are at your job, but he had a shot at an additional $2.25 million. He had to meet all these criteria, and he didn't quite hit them all, so he walked away, get ready to shed a tear, with just $1.12 million in incentives during his last game. Thankfully, because his buddy Gronk was on the team, Gronk needed just a few more receptions to get his extra $500,000 bonus, and Brady was sure to stay on the field to get him that last catch and send his friend home with that 500k. Does it make you sick sometimes to just think of just how much some people have? And does it make you wonder if you had that, if you would be happier? Check out this interview that was done on 60 Minutes with Tom Brady after he got his first three rings. Check out what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. 
I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I know part of you wants to say, cry me a river. But just stop. That's how you're going to feel about Solomon. Cry me a river, streets of gold. Okay. Push that aside and just realize that that is what Solomon's saying. And I know you're thinking, well, give me a shot and maybe I won't be so unhappy. The truth is, money won't satisfy. The question is, okay, why doesn't it satisfy? So in chapter 5, uh, we are going to be in verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 8, here's what it says. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So the key idea is verse 10. Solomon is saying this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Notice that it's not having money that's the problem. It's loving it. It's setting your heart on it. It's building your identity on it. It's resting your security on it. Money is a rival God, and the Bible is crystal clear. If money is your God, God is not your God. It's one or the other. So, how do we unpack it? Well, interestingly enough, the first thing Solomon says, why doesn't money satisfy? Number one, jot this down, because many will take it away unjustly. Because many will take it away unjustly. It will be taken from you. It can be taken from you, and it will be taken from you. He's looking around, maybe at his own kingdom, maybe in a kingdom his size. He didn't want to or think about holding all of his rulers to a super high standard. But he talks about oppression in verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. So he's saying it's there. It's, It's just life. It's important to realize that a lot of what Solomon says in this book, it doesn't make it right. It just makes it earth, right? It just is. It's just happening. We don't know if he was seeing this under his rule and he just decided not to deal with it all. Who can deal with it? I can't get every official in my office, you know. Or he was a traveler. He, he had, you know, he was exposed to the kingdoms around him. Maybe he's just talking about this in general. Wherever you go outside of our nation, um, the point is this. The oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness is going to happen. It's a part of life. Don't be, don't be shocked. And the question he's answering is, why doesn't money satisfy? Because many will take it away unjustly. It's described here as what Tremper Longman calls a network of oppression. The high official is watched by a higher, and yet a higher one over him, and then the king's at the top. The idea is that the oppression is systematic here. One, the lower guy's taking, you know, and then the upper above him is taking from him, and then above that is taking from him, and because of that, the poor, those closer to the bottom, have really no hope of of taking the gain of the land uh, because a lot is going to be taken from them. They can't put their hope in stuff. They can't put, because they could just be taken away from them unfairly. It's important to realize that while the poor are singled out here, everyone is affected. Every official on the way up the chain is impacted by it and is part of the problem. 
So many will take it away unjustly. You know that there are many ways that people try and take your hard-earned money from you. One of the most aggravating ones, right, that we're all dealing with now is red light cameras. Am I right? Is anyone a fan of red light cameras? Do you feel like your life is now safer because of them? Um, I, 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 you know, I feel like we all are kind of in agreement that it's just a money grab. Am I right? Oh, you didn't stop behind the white line. Now, our family has three times maybe gotten caught by the red light cam. I'm guilty of one, and I'm going to explain what happened was some sick person put one of these cameras at the corner where there's a Portillo's. Now, I don't know about you, but (laughs) when I smell it and I see it, I just glide right through that intersection, and they got me. I think it's entrapment, all right? Uh, that's just one way where we can feel like we're being fleeced, you know, and then there's corruption involved. I live in Crestwood now. Our mayor got removed because he got kickbacks from the red light cameras. Guess what? The city still voted him back into office because he keeps the taxes really low. It's strange. It's very strange. When it comes to money and and taxes and and corruption, we live in a corrupt world. I talked with uh, one of our missionaries down in Venezuela before. He said the corruption is so top to bottom down there, he doesn't even know if it's possible to buy anything without actually entering into a process of corruption. He said, if I buy fuel, I know that the foreign or that the director of energy actually got that illegitimately, got a kickback, sent it back into the market, and he's going to get a kickback if I buy it. He's like, we pray and ask God for a clear conscience because we don't know if we can do anything in this country without actually kicking in to a corrupt state. So Solomon says, if you see it, don't be shocked. Welcome to earth. But his point is this. His point is, that's one reason why money doesn't satisfy. Because people will take it from you. They'll take it from you. Now, there's a very confusing verse here. It says in verse 9, but this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. In the original Hebrew, it's very confusing to figure out what that means. Generally, there's a positive view and a negative view. The positive view makes it sound like something like at least the king is uh, is providing, like, uh, you know, the old tyranny is better than anarchy. At least there is a king. That's kind of the positive view, but it's more likely the negative view is right, which means everyone takes a share all the way up, and the king takes his gain from the land too. That's likely what it means. The king himself also takes from the poor. There's not enough for you because everyone is taking above you. That's most likely what it means. Um, it, it literally reads in the original, but the advantage of land is in everything, a king for a cultivated field. So it's like, all right, what exactly does that mean? We're not exactly sure. Jot this down. Those in power find ways to plunder people. Those in power find ways to plunder people. I want you to know that this is condemned in Scripture. This is condemned in Scripture. Even though Solomon observes that it's normal, Scripture clearly condemns corruption. And God's people are actually called to hold leaders accountable to a a biblical moral standard of governance. So just to be clear, don't be crooked, okay? If you are one of those who are finding ways to take money from other people, don't be like, well, Solomon said don't be surprised. Please read this correctly. Solomon is seeing a problem that is so common we should expect it. It doesn't mean it's good. It means it's life. In Romania, when we were driving around um, with one of our pastor friends there, you know, there were endless, endless, endless fields, and he was telling me the history there of the Communist Party coming in, taking over the whole country by force. 
Imagine this, there was no such thing as private property once the Communist Party was done. No one owned anything. The government owned it all. They owned it all. In fact, and they also owned the means of production and the means of distribution. They owned everything. They decided what brand of toothpaste you could buy at the store. Usually you required a subsidy from them to even get the basics. Um, and as we were driving around, I just looked at endless fields, and this man was telling me most of these farmers still don't own their land. They've been in courts for decades trying to prove that this land was taken from them illegitimately. They know they probably won't get it back in their lifetime, but they're fighting it to give it to their children. I mean border to border. So that's an extreme version of how those in power find ways to plunder people, and many are still living in the fallout of that in a nationwide manner. Uh, it's important to realize, too, that in this section, all people are being plundered in some way. Uh, they're caught up in this chain that affects each of them. So the lower official is being taken from by the higher. The higher official is being taken from by higher than that. That existed in Jesus' day, too. The local tax collectors, they were corrupt because they had to give their share up to the Roman officials. Then the Roman officials were corrupt because they had to send it back to Caesar. The high priests, they were all corrupt. The temple, it, it's just a systematic corruption so it's important to realize that um, all people, middle class, upper class, they can actually face this injustice. This doesn't just say only the poor are the ones being affected. Anyone who is a victim of an illegal taking or an illegit illegitimate corruption is a victim here regardless of what class you are in. Okay, so those in power find ways to plunder people. Jot this down. The poor are especially vulnerable to exploitation, especially vulnerable. It says the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness. He talks about the oppression of the poor. Um, we know what it's like to see impoverished cities. We know what it's like to hear about the challenge of low-income workers. Um, when it comes to uh, people and groups who are uniquely battling poverty, uh, there's, there's endless data on that, but Typically, people who are in um, lower-income class areas struggle to get out of that. Single moms, in particular, are close to the top of people who struggle with poverty. And it's sad that those who are in power, those who are above them, use them. They use them for money. They use them for labor. They use them for votes or take what is theirs unfairly. They can create oppression or suppression uh, or even a dependency on work that is unfair or policies that um, continue dependency. Exploitation can take on many forms, wage suppression, lack of access to jobs, job training, government programs that trap people under the poverty line, lack of benefits, trouble getting loans, lack of community resources. Poor people in poor areas are more vulnerable, vulnerable to exploitation and suppression. The Bible clearly calls upon the church to adv advocate for the poor and the helpless. Isaiah 117 says this, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Now, today's message is not about that, and I have to stay faithful to the text. Today's message is about why money doesn't satisfy, but I had to put that in there just so that we don't get off track on what the Bible is saying. So number one, why doesn't money satisfy? Because many will take it away unjustly. Those in power find ways to plunder people. The poor are especially vulnerable to exploitation, People will take it away unjustly. That's one big reason why it will not last and satisfy you. All right, let's read on. It says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? 
Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. All right, so number two, jot this down, because more money equals more problems. More money equals more problems. Great song in the 90s, if you want to find it on Spotify later today. More money, more problems. It says here, the riches uh, increase, and then what happens? Those increase who eat them, and all the owner gets to do is see them. All right? Maybe if you're a parent, you feel this way. More money has come in, and off your teenagers go to the mall, and it just goes out. And you got to see it fly away. The more it comes in, the more it goes out. The more you have, the more people want, and, and the owner is just watching this. Deposit, withdrawal. Deposit, withdrawal. I see it. It's gone. That's one of the reasons why it won't satisfy. As supply increases, so does demand. And every company in the United States every year comes up with an annual plan to part you from your money. They're very good at it. And that's why it doesn't satisfy, because more money means more problems. You think, ah, the raise, ah, the promotion, ah, the transfer. Now, given that much more income, my soul will be that much more happy. But does it happen that way? No, it doesn't. Often there's an inverse force where there is more provision and actually more agitation. There is more provision and actually more problems. Just talk to anyone who has lost a loved one and suddenly the family has an inheritance to fight over. Well, now that we all have an incrementally more amount of provision, as a family, are we all that much more happy? Often no. Often there's a war. Often there's envy. Often there's rivalry. Often there's suspicion. Wait a minute. We all just increased in our income. Doesn't matter. There's war. Because more money often equals more problems. Um, those who love money could be rich or poor. So careful here. You can actually um, have less than many people but still love money and trust it with your heart. You can have more than most people and you can actually have money in its place. Having it doesn't mean you love it. Not having it doesn't mean you don't love it. Be careful there. More money equals more problems and it creates a heart problem regardless of where you are on the wage spectrum. The point is this, don't be driven to amass a fortune because Solomon on the top of his mountain of gold is not happy. I like what one commentator said, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness it leaves. Man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than this. More money will equal more problems. Jot this down because more people will want more things from you. More people will want things from you. If you have more, people will want more. I read an article from Time Magazine uh, a couple years ago, and the headline of the article is this. Here's how winning the lottery makes you miserable. Wait, did I hear you right? I'll read that again. Here's how winning the lottery makes you miserable. And it talks about the tragic ending of people who won the lottery. It says here about 70% of people who suddenly receive a windfall of cash will lose it within a few years. 70%. 70%. Um, one person who won the lottery said this, I wish that we had torn the ticket up. I wish that we had torn the ticket up. 
Some people were robbed. One guy was robbed of $545,000. I don't know what he's doing driving around with that. He was robbed. Another man was shot after he won the lottery. Um, The worst, though, is how the people around you change. Now that you have money, people around you. One woman said this, These are the people you've loved deep down, and they're turning into vampires trying to suck the life out of you. This is written by a woman who shared her Powerball winnings with a dozen co-workers. Guess what? Still not happy. Still not happy. She said, I had to endure greed and the need that people have trying to get you to release your money to them. They became vampires. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Winning the lottery, turns out, makes you miserable for many people. So more people will want more things from you. And jot this down, you'll lose sleep from anxiety and indulgence. You'll lose sleep from anxiety and indulgence. Solomon um, shares here something that keeps coming up. He says here, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Then he says this, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. The rich are not sleeping well. Uh, Those who are lower on the spectrum of income, sleeping like babies. Solomon does this a few times in the book, where he looks around from the top of his palace, and he sees people, he sees high officials, he sees other rulers, you know, he he sees, he sees, he sees. Guess who Solomon's eye falls upon with envy. Guess who the richest man on earth envies. Guess who it is? It's the hardworking laborer who's sleeping soundly at night. He looks at that person and he goes, I wish I was that. I wish I was that. I wish I was asleep. This highlights a few things. It it could highlight the anxiety that comes with more. Uh, It seems to actually just uh, highlight the... uh, indigestion of indulgence. You've got all this food and you're staying up way too long. What did you think would happen when you ate those potato chips at, you know, 1130 at night? I mean, it's like you're just so gorging yourself because you have so much that you can't even sleep. And meanwhile, the hardworking person, you know, had soup and bread fast asleep. And Solomon's like, I want to be that guy. Wow. We are, uh, you know this, we have endless indulgences when it comes to food and beverage, am I right? So we're kind of guilty when it comes to this. More stuff, more food, um, more folly it can, it can lead to. And when it comes to putting limits up, you know, eating, drinking is one of them. So uh, my son's really into food. He likes food. He likes meat. He likes seafood. And he heard about this type of beef that is apparently like super beef. I don't even know what it is. He heard about it. <laughs> So my wife's at Costco, Lauren's at Costco, and uh, Jared's like, hey, buy this type of meat for me. I want some of it. Well, check it out. Here's a picture from Costco of this meat. It's just $99 a pound. (laughs) Some Japanese beef. Uh, So uh, Jared knows Lauren's at the store. He's like, hey, did you get that meat? And Lauren just sends him this picture and says it's $99 a pound. And he texts back and says, did you buy it? Uh, little prince, no, we did not <laughs> buy you your $99 a pound Costco meat. I mean, let's face it, we're really at the top of the food chain uh, historically. 
Therefore, if we don't put out any limits, if we don't put any boundaries up, you know, with money, food, stuff, like we can really get carried away. More money will equal more problems, more indulgence, less sleep, more people will want things, will lose sleep from anxiety and indulgence if we just are on the more, 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 more plan. Let's face it, it's so easy to be on that plan if we don't see it for what it is, a dead end. Okay, what does he say next? Verse 13, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Now, this is really bad. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Number three, jot this down, because you can lose it all in an instant. Why doesn't money satisfy? Well, many will take it away unjustly. More money will equal more problems. And jot this down, because you can lose it all in an instant. No matter how much you have, no matter how hard you worked, it can be gone overnight. This is a grievous evil, he says. And he says, I've seen it. Riches were kept to the hurt of his owner. He had them, and then he lost them in a bad venture. Maybe it was his fault. Maybe it wasn't. We don't know. But it's all gone. Total financial devastation. When my daughter Ellie was young, we went to Disney, and she had saved money in her tiny little coin purse. She knew I was going to Disney. I'm going to save some money. She also likes to spend money, so she didn't save a ton. And we got there first night at Disney. We went to the hotel gift shop. Haven't even been to a park yet. And she picked out a floofy pen with fluffy stuff on top, a pink pen. She brought it up to the counter. And like, you know, her face is just like looking over the counter. She was so young. And the uh, cashier said, okay, it's this much money. And she put her coin purse on there and the cashier emptied it out. And it, it cost her everything. And she looked at all of her money going away. And she goes, but that's all my money's. It's all gone, she cried. <laughs> First day of Disney, one floofy pen, it's all over. <laughs> it's kind of what Solomon's talking about here. You can lose it all in an instant. Now, for her, the bad venture was the floofy pen, but for some people, it can be a business gone bad, a giant account lost, uh, a serious error in your role, but you can be out of all of it. It can easily disappear in a flash. An investment can turn upside down. Talk about the stock market, my goodness. You might as well be at Six Flags. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. What are the feds going to do? And many are watching their accounts like, <gasps> you can lose it all in an instant. Because that's the nature of money, it's not a good foundation to build your life on. It's not a good foundation to build your identity on, your security, your satisfaction. Money makes promises that only God can keep. I want you to know this. As Christians, you realize if this horrible thing Solomon says were to happen, if you were to truly lose it all and all you had left was Jesus, do you know you'd be just fine? Do you know you'd be just fine? You actually might be better off. He'd be right there to satisfy your soul and provide for you and protect you. You can have everything in him. And whatever else you have in the world is just props because you have it all in Christ. Do you realize that? Do you realize you have it all in Christ? Anything else that comes is not necessary. It can just go, and you can actually be okay. You can lose it all in an instance. Write this down. Many experience crushing loss in life. Many experience crushing loss in life. 
Maybe you've heard of people who lost it all. We've had people in our church who've told me stories of tremendous loss, however it happened. And it's a huge test of faith. Sometimes they did something wrong or foolish, sometimes not. Sometimes somebody else did it, their boss or a co-worker, a partner. Um, we know the story of Job. Job was actually targeted to lose it all by Satan himself. Why? Because he was righteous. So don't assume if someone does lose it all, well, God must have been really unhappy with them. Don't assume if you have it all, God is happy with you. Prosperity and riches does not mean God loves you anymore. Poverty and loss does not mean God loves you any less. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe you did. People I know, pastor I know, lost their house unexpectedly. It was staining something and put rags outside in the garbage can. House caught fire. Thankfully, they all got out, but they just watched their home burn to the ground. It was all gone. It was all gone. Many experience crushing loss in life. And then they realize just how fleeting stuff and money really is. But jot this down. Solomon keeps coming back to this. All experience crushing loss and death. Even if you don't, on your way uh, to the end of your days, even if you don't lose it all, guess what? I promise you, you will in the end. Whatever you have, you will have to let it go in the end. Solomon keeps talking about how death is the great equalizer. And he says here, you know, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, he shall take nothing for his toil to carry away in his hand. You know, there, there's never been a hearse with a U-Haul attached to it. You don't get to bring it with you. When your time comes, you let go of everything. You lose it all. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for it? Are you ready to find out what's waiting for you in the next life? Are you rich in heaven because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you really think you can even bring a nickel across to the other side? You just have a chance now to steward it wisely and to glorify God with it and to enjoy it. But the day is coming when you will lose it all. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? And here this sad, sorry, lonely man lost it all. And it says here, all of his days he eats in darkness. Can't even turn the lights on. Can't even buy a candle. In much vexation and sickness and anger. His health is bad. Hey, compare that to verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. All of his days he eats in darkness, much vexation, sickness, and anger. What a comparison. What a comparison. So, number one, why doesn't money satisfy? Well, many will take it away unjustly. Number two, more money will equal more problems. Number three, you, you can lose it all in an instant. So the question now, number four, is this. So then what does satisfy? Jot this down. When God gives you, and then Solomon's going to give us a few things. It's important to realize that he's focusing in on God. Don't miss that. So in verse 18, he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not remember much the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Notice this is a promise to those who have possessions and, and wealth and those who don't. The poor, the rich, the middle, doesn't matter. God is giving the power to enjoy life. So what does satisfy when God gives you certain things? Um, one writer said this, at first this may look like the mere praise of simplicity and moderation, but in fact the key word is God. 
The secret of life held out to us is openness to him, a readiness to take what comes to us as heaven sent, whether it is toil or wealth or both. So Solomon continues to tell us that it's only with God that we can find satisfaction in life. So jot this down. What does satisfy? A good night's sleep after a hard day's work. A good night's sleep after a hard day's work. Work is good. Sleep is good. God gives work, and that's his provision. Sloth is bad. So you have a job. Be thankful to God. You, you can sleep at night. Be thankful to God. Solomon envies those who have a job, who work hard, and who sleep at night. This is one of God's generous, common, everyday provisions for you. You have a job, maybe you don't love it, you have an income, and you have sleep. Those things are the envy of the rich. Be committed to your job. Be thankful for your income. Be upright with your responsibilities. How have you been working? How have you been sleeping? Commit yourself to these things. A good night's sleep after a hard day's work because you trust God, because you honor Him, because you fear Him, because you glorify Him, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Then, then you can know that you're living a life that is blessed by God. That will actually give you contentment. That will actually cheer your soul. A good night's sleep after a hard day's work. Jot this down, enjoyment of the simple things in life. It says, uh, finding enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. It says to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment. So it's the simple things in life. This is called contentment and gratitude. So contentment. Maybe I'll have more, maybe I won't, but I don't need it to be happy. I'm content. When, biblically, does contentment start? After you have food, clothing, and shelter, and Christ. If food, clothing, shelter, and Christ, that's where contentment begins. And if you don't find it there, you won't find it at any other higher income bracket. You have to find it there, and then you have to bring it with you up the chain. If you find yourself lowering down the chain, you still have that. Because you had it at food, clothing, shelter, and Christ. You have contentment, and you have gratitude right there. And no matter how low the elevator drops, you still have it. That's where it starts. It's not where it ends. So enjoyment of the simple things in life. On the dashboard of your heart, how is the, we'll call it the contentometer, How's the contentometer? Would you say it's full? Would you say it's half? How's your gratitude gauge? Is it, is it rising? Is it plunging? Contentment, gratitude. Are you enjoying the simple things in life, like a good meal with family, like a good outing with friends? It's the little things that fill your spirit with joy. Do you have a spirit of thankfulness to God, toward your parents, toward your spouse, toward your employer, in your church, toward your small group leader, ministry leader. Is there gratitude? Is there gratitude? Is there gratitude? That's the good life. That's the good life. A good night's sleep after a hard day's work, enjoyment of the simple things in life. Jot this down. A joyful spirit regardless of net worth. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot. Are you accepting your lot? Are you accepting your place in life? Are you okay with where God has you? This is the gift of God. You won't remember much the days of your life because God will keep you occupied with joy in your heart. You've got a joyful spirit regardless of your lot in life. Is that you? Is that you? He, he wants you to feel this way. 
You know how children shriek with laughter over the smallest things? You know, they get a popsicle or, or they find it, you know, they're out with a friend and they, they're just so happy. We envy them, don't we? We wish we could go back and just be so happy over that. And we see their childlike wonder at things and we're like, why can't, they're so happy. They're so joyful. There's, why can't I have that? Why can't I have that? There's something divine in that. There's something divine in that. Realize that God wants to fill your life with joy that stuff can't. And I want you to know that at the top of it all, Jesus truly is the only one who can satisfy your soul forever. This isn't just a message about eat, drink, and be merry. God is giving the joy in life, and Solomon got all the way as far as he could, but Jesus said, now one greater than Solomon is here. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. And Solomon didn't know yet that the fullness of joy would come in Christ. So I want you to know that if you feel like your whole life you've just been missing out, you wonder why you're here, you feel empty and vacant, and maybe you've been to the top of the, you know, the pack with, with your career. Maybe you've had it all. Maybe you lost it all. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're just struggling to sleep, and, um, and you're like, why is life this way? You're hitting that dead end that Solomon hit. This is not the way to satisfaction. But listen, it says that in Jesus are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Do you realize that only Jesus can give you treasure in heaven? Only Jesus can give you a home in his kingdom. Heaven is not your personal palace. It's his eternal kingdom. It's his, not yours. Therefore, he needs to invite you in. If you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, guess what? He prepares a place for you. Jesus told the thief on the cross who could do nothing good or bad, but cry out for mercy. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. What a promise. No one else can promise that to you. I like what Phil Riken said. He said, without God, life is meaningless and miserable, especially if we love money. Satisfaction is sold separately. The person who finds the greatest enjoyment in life is the one who has a close personal relationship with the giver. Let me challenge you today to surrender everything to Christ, to follow him, to serve him, to give generously to the things that weigh heavily on his heart, then your soul will be richly rewarded in the next life. Hey, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now together. Jesus, what a challenging message this is because we are told with every billboard and commercial to build our lives on the stuff of earth. We are told we can't be happy without the things that this world provides. And we will see so many commercials shortly today promising us to be happy, to feel uh, healthy, to feel well and, and prosperous, things that will get us ahead. In the end, they will fail. Jesus, I pray right now for anyone who's here who has not yet trusted you. Maybe, maybe they'd be honest enough to admit that they have loved money their whole life. They have sought it and chased it and had it and they're miserable. It hasn't worked. They know everything that I said today is true. And they're ready for a better way. Jesus, right now, I pray that some in their heart, whether they're watching online or they're here in person, would say, Jesus, forgive me for loving money. Forgive me for trusting money. Forgive me for chasing stuff. What a fool I've been. Jesus, here and now, just like Zacchaeus, here and now, I turn around. I stop that path. Here and now, I become a generous person. I'm no longer mastered by money. Here and now, Jesus, I worship you. I trust you. I want treasure in heaven that, that a moth, that rust can't take away from me. I want it protected 
I want streets of gold. Jesus, help me to live for that because you died for me and rose again. I pray for Christians here, Lord, who just maybe have lost their way. Maybe they're struggling with fear. Maybe they're struggling with overindulgence. Maybe they're struggling with with having more than before and they, they realize that it has not done good things to their heart, to their home, to their family, to their faith. And maybe now they need to say, Jesus, bring me back. Bring me back to the simple things, to gratitude, to, to generosity, to, to just cheerfulness, Lord. I pray that they would trust you. And they can. We can trust you at the bottom and at the top. We can trust you. Paul said, I know what it is to have little and to have much. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Wherever we are, provide for us, Jesus. Have our hearts because we love you. And we pray this in your name.